Good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to you ladies. It's so exciting to be here today and share God's word with you. Um, I invite you to just pray with me before we get started. All right, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for today. We're thankful for your design for us as, as men, as women, and Lord, as mothers. I just pray that you would bless your holy word today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Today is a day to celebrate women. Today is a day to celebrate moms. I love being a woman, and I love, love, love being a mom. So what does Mother's Day mean to you? What images or feelings race through your heart and through your mind when I say the word mom? For some people, Mother's Day is quite painful. Words to describe their mothers might be absent or selfish or overbearing, maybe drunk, an addict, immature, unavailable, unattached, critical, abusive, neglectful, gone, passed away. And for that, I'm sorry, and I know that Jesus desires to speak into that part of your heart. For others of us, Mother's Day is a celebration. On May 9, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson issued a proclamation asking Americans to give a public expression of reverence to mothers through the celebration of Mother's Day. And so it began. The word mom can be said in many different ways. Just think about that. What do you call your mom? Maybe ma or mom, or mother. My son Chad loves to call me madre. Even though we're not Hispanic, <laughs> he just loves to call me madre. That's his favorite. And then my daughter Kristen, she started talking when she was about, you know, seven months old. And moms, you know, you're just waiting. You're waiting for them to say mom, and you want them to say mom before they say dad. Okay, it becomes a little competition. And so my daughter is in her little high chair, and she's seven months old, and she says, her little head and she says mom and I am like did she just say what I think she said you know you're like did I hear that right and so she tilts her little head again and she says mom and then I get the biggest smile on my face of course so she responds to that so she's like mom 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 all day <laughs> about eight hours she said mom so that was such a blessing to hear that from her I call my mom, mom, and my mother always had milk and cookies ready for my sister and I when we came from, home from school. And if she didn't have that, she would make powdered sugar frosting, put it all over the graham crackers, and we'd have that in cookies. And she'd ask about our day, and then we would sit together, the three of us, and watch Little House on the Prairie together. How many of you are Little House on the Prairie fans, right? Yes. Okay, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> But it's just a great story. And to this day, my mom is Ma, I am Mary, and my little sister is Laura. And we still, you know, even though my mom's 70 and my sister and I are 50, we call each other those names today. One thing I love about my mom is she's got a great giggle, just the best laugh ever. And another thing I love about my mom is she's like the sun. My mother is steady. The sun always comes up, the sun always goes down. You can count on it. 
And that's who my mom was to me growing up in a home with an alcoholic father. Abraham Lincoln, I love this quote. This is what he said of his mother. All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. John Wesley, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that name, the founder of Methodism said this of his mother. I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. So how do you define your mother? How do your kids describe you as their mom? I have an incredible mix of children in my household. My husband Paul and I are a beautifully blended and blessed family. We have nine kids together. Paul had his seven, I brought my two. That makes nine. Some of my nine call me mom. Some of them call me Carla. Some of them think of me as a mom. Some a stepmom, some a mom-like figure, some a mentor, some a good friend. It looks different for each of my nine, and that's good because different is good. To quote Anne of Green Gables, different means it's just not the same. I want to show you a quick clip from a movie that I love, and it's called Instant Family. I truly can't recommend it to you, though, because there are some swears in it. <laughs> so I wouldn't feel right about recommending it. But it's a powerful movie for me, and I've gorged myself on this movie so many times, my husband won't watch it with me anymore, okay? He's like, no, done. But I love the woman in this movie, and it's, she's a great depiction of me. And it's a movie about, it's a true story about a family who is fostering, adopting, and blending all at the same time. So let's watch it together. Juan calls her mom for the first time. In my blended family, I have seven boys, okay? And one of them called me mom first. And I'll never forget that. I was like, did I hear that right? I, I literally cried for two days, I think. Just touched the mom part of my heart. So much.
So what do some of my kids say about me? What have some of my kids said about me? So my son Chad was 18 when Paul, for some reason, decided he wanted to marry me. <laughs> so he, uh, he talked to Chad a little bit, and, and he was like, Chad, I really want to marry your mom. And, and Chad was like, Paul, you do know she's a spaz, right? Which I can embrace that because I don't, I don't mind having a little bit of fire under me, okay? So that's good. That's good. So Kristen, um, she says of me often, Mom, I want to be like you. I want to be a mom like you've been to me. I want to pray with people like you pray with people. And I want to treat people the way you treat people. And then Sierra, my other daughter, she just... Uh, I was just recently in Arizona visiting her. And when you're a blended family, when you try to make introductions, it's the most confusing thing in the entire world, okay? So um, Sierra's trying to introduce me to her people, and she's like, and this, this is Carla. Well, she's my mom. Well, she's kind of, she's kind of my stepmom. Well, my dad married her. <laughs> and I don't mind any of it. I love all of it. Because at the end of the day, I just love Sierra, and I am who Sierra needs me to be. And I just want to be that important person in her life. I tell my kids often, and they've heard it from me their entire lives, I get to be your mom. The Lord has decided that I would get the honor and I would get the privilege of stewarding you here on earth. I came across a great excerpt from a letter that John and Charles Wesley mother, Susanna, had written to her husband while he was in debtor's jail. Susanna understood the great care it took to raise a family. Susanna had 19 kids, 19. Nine of her children died as infants. Four of the children who died were twins. A maid accidentally smothered one of the children. At her death, only eight of them were still alive. This is what she wrote to her jailed husband. I am a woman, but I am also the mother of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls, she referred to her children as souls. Contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man, I am not a minister, yet as a mother I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolve to begin with my own children, in which I observe the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare each night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk to Molly. On Tuesday, I talk to Hattie. On Wednesday, I talk to Nancy. On Thursday, with Jackie. On Friday, with Patty. And on Saturday, with Charles. There's no mention of John, but I'm sure she spent plenty of time talking to him as well. Susanna was a mother who understood the importance of being there for her children. What does the word of God say about mothers? And what does the word of God say about women? Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Women, we are created in the image of God. Men, you are created in the image of God. 
Genesis 3.20 is the first mention of a mother in the scriptures. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. So Eve was the first woman. She was the first mother, the mother of all the living. Ladies, we are created in the image of God. Mothers, we are created in the image of God. We are his image bearers. But if that were not enough, God decided we would also be the carriers of life. What an incredible honor for us women. I'd like to take a look at some women in the scriptures with you today. So we're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to talk about Hannah. So Hannah is barren. Hannah does not have any children. She is grieving and she is mourning. Being barren hurts to the depths of her being. It is a deep sorrow for Hannah and for many women. Women were created for many things. One thing we were created to do is to carry a child and to give birth to a child. It is a part of our design. So Hannah is married to Elkanah. And Hannah prays a lot. She prays to the Lord to give her a baby. 1 Samuel 1.8, Elkanah and Hannah went to the house of the Lord. Elkanah asked her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Hannah, why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? And don't I, as your husband, mean more to you than ten sons? As we travel through 1 Samuel 1 a little bit more, we see Hannah praying again. And in her deep anguish, she prays and cries out to the Lord. So ladies, if you're barren, if you're praying for a child, if you can't have a child, I'm sorry. Sorry for that. Jesus is with you, and Jesus loves you. Matthew 5.4 tells us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There are times when a woman is pregnant and the child does not make it to full term. I personally struggle with the terminology, she lost the baby. To me, it puts it in the, whole, the, the same category as she lost her car keys. When I think of the word loss, I think of it more as I can't find something. But ladies, when we're pregnant, we know where our babies are. But because I don't know what else to call it, I'll use that phrase today. So if you're here today, you're listening online, you've experienced a miscarriage, for that I'm sorry. Again, Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you. Psalm 147.3 tells us he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And I do want you to know today that your baby is not lost. That little one is with Jesus and you will hold your baby in your arms someday because you are that baby's mama. For any gals here today or listening online and you've had an abortion, I'd like to share some true stories of gals I know who have had abortions. One sweet young girl, her father molested her, then forced her to abort the baby. She was 14 years old. Another young woman, she was partying in high school and her, she got pregnant and her and the guy decided they didn't want to have the baby, so they went to the clinic together and aborted their child. Another woman, she had just turned 40. She and her husband were at the pinnacle 
of their careers, almost empty nesters. They got pregnant. She wanted baby. He did not. He insisted they get rid of the inconvenience. So she did, and he did not join her at the clinic. If you're sitting here today, you're listening online, and you've aborted your child, I'm sorry. Jesus loves you, and Jesus is with you. 1 Corinthians 1.4 tells us that Jesus comforts us in all of our troubles. And I really want to encourage you with this today. Your baby is not lost. You will hold your little boy or your little girl in your arms someday because you are that baby's mom. Today we would like to share with you an update on the Haven Center, a new, a new ministry to women in Watertown. some moms here today and you birthed a child and that child died or they're stillborn six months old 16 or 60 your child has died and for that I'm sorry Jesus loves you and Jesus is with you Psalm 11976 promises that his unfailing love is our comfort and again you will hold your child someday because you're that child's mom my mom has experienced the loss of two children one was my brother Chad, and I named my son Chad in honor of him. And another was my twin. <laughs> Can you imagine two Carlas running around? Where's Nicole? I can't imagine what Nicole would do. Try, you, some of you gals know me at women's events. And what would she do if there were two of us running around that she had to try to administrate? <laughs> some of you here today have taken a child to full term and then chosen to give the child to someone else to raise adoption. Maybe the choice 
to keep the baby wasn't an option, maybe it was. Did you know that Moses was birthed by Jochebed? She raised him to a certain age, and then she had to give him to Pharaoh's daughter for her to finish raising him. My husband Paul had seven kids when we met, and five of his seven he adopted. Some of you were raised in foster care. A foster mom raised you as her own. Some of us were raised by biological moms, adopted moms, stepmoms, foster moms, grandmas, neighbors, dads. The list goes on and on. There are so many different dynamics that define motherhood. Whatever that has looked like for you, God has chosen women to carry on the generations. Women have the exclusive joy and privilege of being pregnant, of carrying a child in the sacred space of the womb. So, ladies, what happens when a woman finds out that she is going to have a baby? She jumps up and down. She screams. I'm just seeing smiles all over the place because everybody's going back to when they found out they were pregnant, right? She smiles. She jumps up and down. She screams. She cries. She's terrified. There are a lot of different responses. What I'd like to do today is have us look at Jesus' mother Mary to find out what she did when she found out she was pregnant. Now keep in mind, there were no pregnancy tests back then. An angel came and personally told Mary that she was going to have a baby. And we're just going to look at that scripture real quick together. So Luke 1, 30 and 31. But the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. So after Mary's initial shock wears off, and she decides, Okay, I can do this with God's help. She has to tell someone. Because what happens, ladies, when we know we're going to have a baby, we have to tell someone. So she decides to tell Elizabeth, her cousin. So Mary travels about 80 miles to tell Elizabeth. On foot, on donkey, camels. I don't know. They didn't have cars, didn't have phones. Not sure. But she's in her first trimester, and she's traveling 80 miles. And I can't imagine how that must feel, because as many of you know, your first trimester, you are really nauseated. And maybe you have morning, noon, and night uh, sickness like I did. So I can't imagine what kind of journey that would be for her. Luke 1, 39 through 40 tells us, though, that at that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried. She hurried. She was so excited. So now Mary, Elizabeth, Mary and Elizabeth are in the house together, and Mary is so excited. Elizabeth is so excited for Mary that the baby inside of Elizabeth starts leaping around, leaps for joy. Just so you know, too, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. So Mary and Elizabeth are rejoicing, and I love that the baby leaps for joy. Ladies, how did it feel when the baby moved for the very first time? Can you remember that day? Can you remember that moment? You're like, it just stops you in your tracks. Like, was that what I thought it was? Did I feel that right? Then you're going along, and then it happens again, and you're like, yes, baby moved. And baby keeps moving, and baby kicks and elbows, and you get the hiccups, and or baby gets the hiccups inside of you, and so then your tummy's bouncing around all over. I love that. I wonder, I don't know how many of you wondered this, but what was Jesus like in Mary's womb? Did he move a little? Did he move a lot? Did he kick his mommy in the ribs? 
Did he give his mommy heartburn? Yes, we remember those days, don't we? Did she have to elevate her bed? Did she have a constant supply of soda crackers and Sprite with her? Then I wonder, did she have cravings? You know? So did Joseph have to get up in the night and go to the corner market there and get some goat cheese and figs? Because <laughs> it's the Middle East, remember? No cars, no phones, okay? So did Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect Savior, the perfect baby, let his mom sleep at night? I don't know, ladies, we know this too. We don't sleep when we're pregnant. Who can sleep when, like with Chad, I gained 50 pounds and with Chris and I gained 55? Like who can, who can sleep? So now it's time for Mary to give birth to her son, Jesus. So think about when you're going to have a baby. Think about your little nursery, okay? So does Mary have this beautiful little sweet little nursery with all matching decor? Blankets, pillows, little elephants and monkeys, and a copy of Goodnight Moon. As we think about Mary, let's look, look through the lens of a woman, a mother, a mother's perspective. So Mary and Joseph are traveling about 70 miles. She's ready to have this baby. She's on a donkey or a camel or something. The pictures show us a donkey. I can't imagine being on a donkey when you're about ready to have a baby. I don't know about you girls, but can't imagine that. So, Luke 2, 6, and 7 tells us this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So Mary and Joseph have just traveled. Mary gives birth to her baby in a barn, some commentaries say a cave. There was no room for them in the inn, the hotel, the Hilton. There's no hospital. There's no home. There's no bedroom. There's no nursery. She's in a strange place, an unaccommodating place. She is not surrounded by her people or her things. There's no soap. There's no hand sanitizer. I would describe Mary as brave, very brave. She is a mom, and moms are brave. She gives birth to her baby. She makes do. She gives her son as much comfort as she possibly can. She swaddles him up and lays him in the feeding trough or the water trough. And this is what she does, because this is what moms do. She kisses his sweet little head. She breathes in the baby smell. There's no better smell in the world. I see a mama doing it to her baby right now. There's no better smell. She counts his little fingers and his little toes. She sways, because isn't that what we do, ladies? We sway. She sings. She sings him lullabies until he falls asleep, because that's what moms do. And think about this with me. Before anyone else knew Jesus Christ as friend, as savior, as rabbi, as healer, as leader, as shepherd, Mary knew Jesus Christ as her son. His mother knew him. She'd been taking care of that little guy for nine months. She'd been swaying and singing and talking, touching, because that's what moms do. Before she ever saw his eyes or held him in her arms, she knew him. Jesus was her baby boy. She was his mama. And I love this part as we continue on in the, the book of Luke. 
But Mary treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. So Mary treasured and Mary pondered these things in her heart. She kept a record of all that was happening with her son here and here. Because that's what moms do. Recently, my daughter graduated from college, and as she walked across the stage to get her diploma, my mind was playing like a movie reel from her birth all the way up until that moment. Because every moment of her life is a treasure in my heart. In closing, I'd like to read John 19. 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he said, Here is your mother. From that time on, that disciple took her into his home. I love that at the end of his life, Jesus thought of his mom. And I'm sure she thought of him as well, all of her little treasures. So happy Mother's Day, ladies. It's time to celebrate womanhood, and it's time to celebrate motherhood. And today I'd like to look at next steps with you. So take the time to truly, all of us, men and women alike, treasure and ponder this week. Number one, think about who your mom is or was to you. Think about your identity as a mom. What would you like your legacy to be as a mother? And lastly, today's sermon may have stirred up some things in you. And if you want to talk to me, I am available to you. There are cards out there. You can call the office, whatever you need to do, so you and I can visit a little bit. I want to leave you with this. To be a good mother, you have to go to the Father. To be a good mother, you have to go to the Father. I want to read a little snapshot from Susanna Wesley's life once again. Early in her life, Susanna vowed that she would never spend more time in leisure entertainment than she did in prayer and Bible study. Even amid the most complex and busy years of her life as a mother, she still scheduled two hours each day for fellowship with God and time in his word. She adhered to that schedule faithfully. The challenge was finding a place of privacy <laughs> in a house filled to overflowing with children. Mother Wesley's solution to this was to bring her Bible to her favorite chair, and she had this long apron, and throw her apron up over her head, forming a sort of tent. This became something akin to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, in the days of Moses in the Old Testament, every person in the household, from the smallest little toddler to the oldest domestic helpers, knew well to respect this signal. When Susanna was under the apron, she was with God and was not to be disturbed, except in the case of the direst emergency. There in the privacy of her little tent, she interceded for her husband and her children and plumbed through the deep mysteries of God in the scriptures. This holy discipline equipped her with a thorough and profound knowledge of the Bible. And might I add that this holy discipline equipped her to be the mother, to be the woman that God designed her to be. So ladies, let's follow her example. Spend our time with the Lord 
and have a happy Mother's Day, ladies.